This is the Lead to Lead podcast, where we explore the realm of leadership through the lens of faith. Here's your host, Leah Haygood. What's up, guys? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Lead to Lead podcast. My name is Leah, and I am your host. And today I have the one, the only, the man behind the amazing voiceover of the Lead to Lead podcast, Mr. Jake Haygood. Would you like to say hello, sir? Hello, everybody. All right. See, see, same voice as what you heard 20 seconds ago. So today we um, are going to be starting as a two part uh, episode. This is part one of Millennials <clears throat> and Marriage. And I think part of the reason why we wanted to talk about this is because first reason is I'm a millennial. Jake, you are a millennial, correct? Yes, I am. What year were you born in? 1992. And I was a 92 baby as well. We also wanted to talk about marriage because we've just noticed over the past few years, really, we are coming up on eight years being married in June. And we've just noticed that even people in our high school class have gotten married, gotten divorced really quickly, and it just seems to be an issue of commitment. And so we kind of wanted to talk about this. So first off, let's let everybody get to know you, Jacobus. I know everything about you, but the lovely people listening right now do not. So what is going on in the life of Jake at this moment in time? Well, as you know, you are my wife, so (laughs) we have three kids together, Mm -hmm. Um, Isaac, Caleb, and Melody, who keep us entertained at all costs. Every day. And um, I am a realtor here in the upstate of South Carolina, Um, been doing it for three and a half years, and I am also about to receive my diploma from Liberty University in my uh, field of psychology, and um, have recently been accepted into the Master of Divinity program at Liberty to start in the fall. Um, with the pursuit of a call of uh, being a pastor. So life is busy, to say the least. And you know that, of course, but the listeners don't. But yeah, so God has been good and faithful, and I'm just grateful to be here. Thank you. And, you know, now I can add another thing to my title. I'm podcast host, and eventually I'll be pastor's wife, which is kind of weird to say, but I'm excited for you. And so... We wanted to start out by talking about what exactly is a millennial. And so I wrote down some facts about or some descriptions of what a millennial is. Webster, there's actually a definition in Webster of a millennial. Do you know that? Yes. Oh, well, you're smart. Uh, (laughs) Webster says that a millennial is a person reaching young adulthood in the early 21st century. So right around the time of 2000, Y2K. Do you remember Y2K at all? Of course. What do you remember about it? I remember the world was supposed to end. Yes. I remember... Or they, they said to turn off your computers because you're going to lose all your information and everything's going to go... ah, And then nothing happened. You know, it's interesting you say that because... A lot of people, <clears throat> and I think this goes back to God's sovereignty. Um, you know, recently we have the coronavirus breakout. Yes. And um, a lot of people constantly think, oh, you know, we need to make sure we have everything's going to end, everything's going to go bad. And um, God continues to convict me that He is in control, He's on His throne, and that ultimately we don't know the end of our days. And, you know, 10 out of 10 die. So. Um, we just have to constantly lean on him and lean on his understanding and understand that there's been a pattern of sickness and scare throughout history and that we continue to be here and um, Jesus is coming back. So we have to be expectant of that. 
Y'all didn't think y'all were getting a sermon, but it's going to happen today, folks. Woo! Thank you, baby. Ooh. A millennial... <laughs> kind of going, let's go back and talk about the definition. No. But um, a millennial, it, you're considered a millennial if you were born between 1981 in 1996, I've heard some definitions say it could go as like 1980 to like 2000, somewhere in there. A common misconception of a millennial is they're technically the Gen Y gen- generation. They actually, when most people refer to millennials, they're actually referring to Gen Z. Because Gen Z occurs currently in your middle school, high school, and even some early college representation. So, for example, my sister and I... I'm going to be 28 this year. My sister was born in 95. Both of us are the millennial generation. But I have found that many people think of millennials, they think of high school students and early college students, and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Your millennials are probably between about 24 years old and 40 years old right now. Yeah, almost 40. So yeah. that's the actual range we're referring to. We're referring to the young professional, the young adult generation. When we talk about millennials, another misconception people think about millennials is that technology has always existed since they've been alive. And that's also not the case. It has existed, but it has been more in computer programming, these massive rooms that just filled with computers, Mm -hmm. Um, not your tablets, not your smartphones, not your even smaller computers. I remember my parents got our first computer probably in the early 2000s. And it was a Windows 98, and Mm -hmm. it was slow as Christmas, and half the time it didn't work. AOL was a big thing, and uh, AIM was huge. And I remember we had to wait for Mom to get off the home phone so we could get on the Internet, only to find out she had to make another call, Uh so we had to get back off the Internet. So I think we have to understand what a millennial is. A millennial is not your tablet person. Now, has it come in our lifetime? Yes, absolutely. But it's also in everybody else's too right now. So um, I remember not having a smartphone till I was in college. So that means this concept that they're just some technology gurus and they're sitting there and stuff like that is not totally the case. So that's, I think, a misconception we have to make sure we define well. Yes. I agree, because I remember we had Windows 95, but before that we had the old school computer where you played Oregon Trail, and that was your (laughs) form of fun. And then once we got Windows 95 and 98, it was Solitaire and 3D Pinball. Like, that was it. And Paint. You remember Paint? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And I remember my grandmother actually was a computer programming major and um, went on in her later life to teach at Piedmont Tech about computers. And so she, you know was one of those people that saw the development of it and saw the kind of what it was becoming. And that's something I try to make sure to tell people is when we're thinking about this stuff, it's what we think of as today's technology advanced within five years. It was not a longevity thing. The first computers were probably 20, 25 years worth of making. And then what we see today was within like five years. So technology has advanced rapidly Yes, since it uh, has gotten to its point. And now... Obviously, everything is on my phone, which is currently sitting on my desk. Yes. Like right now, um, I read a little study that said that uh, millennials tend to use up to four devices a day. And I've got a microphone right here, a computer next to me. Jake's got his phone, and I've got my phone and my iPad. So we definitely proved true to this, (laughs) even right now. 
kind of moving toward into that, I was looking up some articles online just about some characteristics of the attitude of a millennial. And this information comes from medium.com. It was an article done, I believe it's Gary. It looks like Jerry with a G, but I'm going to say Gary McGovern. And uh, here's some things that he talked about, about what a millennial is. They tend to be well-educated, more connected, and they feel powerful. And what kind of ties into the feeling powerful is they're typically less religious and tend to get married later on in life and have less kids. It seems to me that this is a big shift to self-reliance. I don't need anybody else to do what I need to get done. I just need to find my spouse. We'll have our 1.3 kids, and <laughs> and I'm going to conquer the world. Yeah, so thinking about the first point, um, as far as what that was, that was talking about well-educated. So um, I am obviously prone to this as well. I'm about to go into my master's program. But many millennials think that by getting an education – is going to guarantee a job. And this is far from the truth. I spent the first 10 years of my career in food industry. And I found that hiring people was a challenge even by raising pay. And so as we looked at that, as we looked at what was going on, why we weren't able to hire people, I found uh, some several traits that I personally have taken away. And I've got positive and negatives for that of this generation, kind of some things about it. Real quick, once again, Millennial Breakdown, this is people from 1981 to 1996. So this is your young professionals currently. Some positive traits is this. Millennials have a heart for helping others. So I found, you know, as I've you know constantly looked at just what our generation looks like, they have a heart for helping others. And I think we got to really examine that statement. We'll kind of get to that as we go down. But also millennials typically desire harmony and peace. And lastly, on the positives, millennials evaluate everything. So, talked about employment and education. So, when we look at millennials and how they think, one thing I saw as a struggle was loyalty. Now, I had parents who my dad has owned a construction company for about 28 years now, ever since I was born. He's owned this construction company, and he has been in the same field of work since he was 12 years old. He started in construction at 12 years old by sweeping the garage floor of a construction company, Sloan Construction. And he worked for Sloan until he started his own company, which he still is a subcontractor for Sloan. So there's a bit of loyalty that existed in his kind of dominion, so to speak. And one thing I found that my dad struggled with was when he'd hired employees, especially employees my age, he could never keep them. And I found when I hired people, I can never keep them. And I think this is something we really, really, really have to look into as we're studying this is this idea of loyalty. Because I think, once again, millennials think when they get this education, it's going to make all the difference in the world. It's going to qualify them for any job and they can go wherever they want and be content. And the reality is we're finding that they're less and less content. They hop from job to job to job. And there's some factors thinking that, you know, once again, pensions aren't a big thing anymore. So staying loyal to the company is not always beneficial as it used to be. There's several different aspects that we could attribute to companies and their mistakes in this. And I saw this as well. However, I have found that by staying loyal to a company, 
this makes all the difference in the world. I personally have been part of the same brokerage for three and a half years. And in my line of work, many people jump brokerages because they're looking for just the best deal. And that's something that troubles me as a person because I think because longevity speaks volume of people. Mm-hmm. When you stick it out through the trials and the struggles and everything in between, I found that God provides in those things. Do you have anything to add on that before I continue? Real quick, this kind of pertains to what you're going to say or what you've already said. Um, Jerry writes, <clears throat> and I quote him, in the, in the mind of a millennial, lifeline, excuse me, lifelong employment is a fairy tale. It's about lifelong learning, being on the move, and being in control. And I think control is a big aspect of this. Always wanting to have a say and be in control of our circumstances. And like you said, the idea of, like, if you go up to a millennial, maybe not us, but a different millennial, and say, hey, um, would you stay at a company for 30 years if you started out with an entry-level position? They'd be like, no, why would I do that? And I think it's just because they want... Control. They want to be able to jump right in, guns blazing, and be at the top of the food chain. But that doesn't really necessarily work. No, it doesn't. And here's the thing. It's all over the board. It's not any particular uh, line of work. Um, We've seen it throughout churches. We've seen it throughout companies. We've seen it throughout just different areas. And I think it boils down to, because my first point, the positive, was millennials have a heart for helping others. I really think it's important to examine scripture when we're looking at stuff because obviously this podcast does pertain to a faith-based leadership program. So let's look at Matthew 5, starting in verse 43. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So there's several things Jesus is making a point in this passage and why it pertains to millennials have a heart for helping others. Millennials have a heart for helping others. They love looking at people who may be struggling and finding ways. However, I found that millennials struggle with people who may oppose them blatantly, like in front of them. One thing we have found is millennials have a better time combating arguments on social media rather than in person. It's a struggle that... They will text you the longest paragraph explaining why you're wrong. However, if you get on, sit down one-on-one, it's almost silence. And once again, I premise, I'm a millennial. And that's, that I'm not at all trying to condemn and make a big to-do out of it. However, I think by understanding this, and for me to even understand this, as I talk about this, you know, the Lord continues to convict me of my own heart at times towards this. But we have to understand this passage to understand how to properly help others. And Jesus is pretty clear. You know, it's easy to love our neighbor. It's easy to love people who agree with us. It's easy to go towards that point. And I say this even involving work because I think this is what ultimately attributes to people jumping job to job. Their boss may not agree with them. Their friends may not agree with them. Their coworkers, whatever it may be, 
Um, I found the number one reason why people quit jobs in my field when I was in the food industry is they would get in an argument about something, or they get argue with, or they get frustrated with me in my decisions, and they just leave. They think by just leaving the situation, it's going to make it better. However, it harms them because they don't develop conflict resolution skills. And a lot of people think, well, conflict doesn't equal equal helping. Understanding healthy conflict resolution is going to help people help others, have a heart for helping others at that. So Jesus goes on to talk about how don't even the tax collectors love their own people. So I think this first point, and I'm going to let Leah jump back in on this after I say this, is we have to make sure we are loving not only the people who agree with us, but also the people who disagree with us. There has been some loss in translation on how to properly talk to people who disagree with us. Um, there's a healthy way of being able to agree to disagree. And you don't necessarily have to agree in order to be kind towards each other either. And I think that's another thing we've lost as a culture. Yeah, I agree. I remember when we were talking about what we were going to discuss in this episode, I wrote down that millennials tend to think that conflict equals incompatible. Like, if I have a problem with you, we're never going to work. And that's like that can be taken in friendships, that can be taking, taken in a job setting, it could be ta- taken in a romantic relationship, but it's simply not true. Conflict is going to happen whether you agree on the same things or not. Because I promise you, like, we're going to talk about more marriage stuff in part two, but there are going to be things about your spouse that you think are incompatible. (laughs) Like you don't like the way he looks in the mirror when he brushes his teeth. Like you don't, you know, it's going to be stupid things like that. So conflict does not equal incompatibility. Conflict equals normal. So we just need to get used to that, that there are going to be issues and that issues are not necessarily a punishment. They're a growing opportunity. So just having that mindset. Um, A couple of things from that article from medium.com was the idea of instant gratification. We talked to <laughs> we talked to several people ranging from age 18 to mid 30s to younger 40s and this seems to be the biggest topic of discussion. And there's a man by the name of Jason Dorsey who was quoted in this article He's the chief strategy officer at the Center for Generational Kinetics. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? He said that millennials millennials don't just like speed and ease of use, they expect it. The fact that we now live in a world of there's an app for that. And it's just been within the past five to ten years that that has become so prevalent. Whereas before, like even like doing research projects. Like think back in high school. We had to go to the library. (laughs) Yes, we were able to look up online different articles and cite them. As long as they were cited correctly, that's great. But, like, I remember using Encyclopedia Britannica and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff, actually physically looking in a book. Whereas now, if if Google, if the Wi-Fi is slow, we get pissed off. Like, it's it's one of those things that we are, I don't want to say we're older millennials, but I think in in the South, we dealt with dial-up. Anybody, if you don't know what dial-up internet, ask your parents what it is. So anyway, but we considered it, wow, this is a luxury. This is something that 
I, I get to use. It's not something that I just expected. Any comment on that? I'd go back to my <clears throat> original statement when talking about millennials. We started off in a culture where some of us did not even have the accessibility of internet to we had dial-up internet, which AOL was the prominent source of internet at that time, where we had to wait on the dial-up tone. We had to wait on it to connect. We had to wait on it to do all that stuff. And then once we got it going, it was still slow as Christmas to get anywhere <laughs> on it. So then the big thing was we had encyclopedias. We had the library. We had all this stuff available to us. And I even think about my time at Liberty as an undergraduate student and even going into graduate school. Everything we use now is online. Our books are online. The library is online. You can look up any scholarly articles, scholarly articles that pertain to the subject you're looking. All you got to do is search in the search bar for it. And it, it pulls up. It'll pull up a million articles. And this idea of instant gratification is what ultimately I think is the demise of our society. I believe that our world is so focused on having it now, having it now, having it now. I look in the business I'm currently in, in real estate, and um, I love my clients, and I'm so grateful for all that I've been given in this realm. But one thing that I have noticed just throughout it is this idea of instant gratification. I need an answer now. I need this now. I, I want it done now. And this idea is relatively new, actually. Um, my grandfather was in real estate back in the 80s and 90s. And back then, you had this thing called the MLS book. And it literally, you got it every week. You open it up. You find the listings that are in it. You would call the agent that had it. They go show the house. You have to take the offer over to the office. Assume the, agent was, the other agent was there. It could be a week-long process by the time it was done. Whereas now, you write an offer, send it, and have an answer back within two hours. Mm-hmm. That's massive difference. And that's why I think our culture is so anxious. I need to get it done now in order to – so I don't lose it. And I've, God has convicted me you know, within this last year of um, being called to be a part of Southside Baptist Church in Greer that we have to take a step back and just wait we have to rest in him. We have to rest and know that he is God. And I think our society, and especially millennials, I found we struggle with that. Uh, I said my second point, millennials d- typically desire harmony and peace. And I think we are the farthest from that sometimes, if we're being honest. In this particular situation, I look at two scriptures that pertain to this. Is First is Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 7. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and le- lean not on your own, own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So you may say, what does that have to do with peace? Well, let's look at our other scripture, Isaiah Isaiah 26, starting in verse 3. It says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. So our first verse in Proverbs talks about trusting in the Lord. Lean not on our understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And then in Isaiah 26, we see how he keeps us in perfect peace when our minds are stayed on him. So if he's saying trust in him, do not lead on our understanding, 
And then on top of that saying, that's going to be the thing that brings us peace. Then we have to understand in order to desire peace and harmony, we have to trust in the Lord. We have to trust in his timing, his perfect will for our lives. Um, I see many, many people in different careers I've been in and even just in passing, they are so anxious about tomorrow. And I know I struggle with it too. When I just desire sometimes to feel that peace, when somebody else desires to feel that peace and we struggle with it. And I think it boils down to this idea that we are leaning on our understanding by evaluating everything. That's the third point of the positives. I'll let Leah jump in on this here in just a second. But we have a habit of evaluating everything. Mm -hmm. Everything. And I think this leads into my negatives. This is one of the things, y'all. If you really want to know God's will for your life, if you want to be a true leader, you have to, have to, have to get this down. Millennials have a hard time making decisions because they evaluate everything. Mm -hmm. And you may say, what in the world do you mean by that? And let me show you in James. James 1, starting in verse 5, says, If anyone lacks in wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of a sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And let's look at one more scripture in James five, starting in verse. Oh, sorry, sorry, just verse twelve. But above all things, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. When we look at these two verses, the first one talking about being just a wave of the sea, constantly just going to and fro and not able to just be still. People see this. The older generations see this. They see, and this is why a lot of times they'll complain about millennials, is because we toss to and fro and we don't know what we want. We want the best, but we don't want to work for it or we do want to work for it, but we're so struggled. So we'll go get another degree to make us feel better. Mm-hmm. And it looks crazy when you break it down. Mm-hmm. James 5.12 saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Y'all, when you go into any situation, whether it's home purchasing, whether it's accepting a position, whether it's you know even what you're going to eat, tonight (laughs) you need to have a firm foundation of what it is and the way by doing that is seeking the lord first seeking his kingdom first seeking who he is and what he wants for your life because he will give you that perfect peace i have seen on countless times different millennials purchasing houses or even doing anything and they get so wayward in their thinking because they are just like, I don't know what I want, or do I want this, or do I want that? And the reality is God wants you to seek him first. Then he will make your path straight. So that eliminates this constant just to and fro being like the wave of a sea. And I, I really think this is where millennials, if the struggle boils down to, it's trusting, trusting the Lord, trusting decisions. They, they ask for so much advice, and that's a good thing, y'all. Seek counsel, seek wise counsel. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, these are your decisions you are making in your life. And um, I'll let you kind of touch on that. Ooh. I hope you all are taking notes, seriously, because this is all really good stuff. Yeah, the whole instant gratification. Like I said, we are in the time of our society where there's an app for that. Uh, If you want something, Amazon probably has it. 
and he's probably got it cheaper than anywhere else. And we're just so used to ease of efficiency and and all these different things that entitlement has been just a word that has come out so much that we act like the world owes us everything. And that's simply not true. I think some millennials, maybe they were raised in a wealthy home or even just middle class, lower middle class, where they had what they needed. They didn't want for anything. Let's just put it that way. And they go to college, they get their degree, and then they go into the real world and, real world and realize that they have to have you know a job that may only pay 25 grand a year, 30 grand a year. But they still want the house that mommy and daddy had. I think we need to have, realize that there's a perspective shift here that what mommy and daddy had took them at least two decades to get there and that they didn't get it just instantly. They typically start out with nothing. I know that when we got married, we are kind of an an anomaly to millennials because we got married at 19. Granted, we had already been together since we were 15 consecutively, but we got married really young and we had several people tell us, say, it's going to be hard. You're probably going to fail. Yeah, we had people tell us that. But we had, we sought wise counsel from people and we listened to them. There's some things that we had to learn the hard way, but we knew that we were going to have to work our butts off. I remember the first year that we got married, we got married in 2012 and uh, it was in June 2012. Starting in August, we, I was in school. Were you in school? Yeah, I was in school full time too. Okay. We were both in school um, at USC Upstate. We were both working at Chick-fil-A. He was working mornings, what, three, four days a week? Something like that, yeah. So he would go to work from 5 a.m. to 2 p.m. I would tip, I would be in class during that time, and then I would go to work and work two to close. Millennials don't really like the idea of not having a job that's cushy and things that just work perfectly in their social life. Because seriously, our first year of marriage was tough on the fact that we didn't see each other hardly at all. We did, but we didn't. Yeah, like we would, on my lunch break at school, I would either call you or sometimes we'd call carpool. But I mean, it, it was not easy by any means. It was something that we both had to make the decision to commit to. And we did. And we're better for it because we understand the harvest that was reaped from those early years of working hard. We have this mentality, work hard now so we don't have to later. And to, to be diligent. And I think that that's a concept that millennials <clears throat> tend to struggle with is diligence and hard work and realizing that it's not going to last forever. Like you being at the bottom of the totem pole, that doesn't last forever. If you show that you are consistent, that you're diligent, that you're trustworthy, that you're not going to flake out on them and call out just because you look fat in the mirror, it's, you know, you need to have a rapport about yourself that's saying that when I'm working, I'm here, I'm committed, and I'm going to do my best, and that when I'm off, I'm off, and that I'm resting. Real quick, I wanted to touch on that real quick. Okay. Something that you said that really just stood out to me is that starting at the totem pole, many millennials will come out of college and start entry-level jobs and end up changing companies because they think there's a better position available to them. I have found that if you stay with a company, 
you may start at the entry-level position, and maybe the company is unhealthy, and maybe that is a time to get out. But if you start at the entry-level position and you work your way up, there's a greater rapport, like you said, and you're more likely to get more executive positions by being part of the company mm-hmm. for all that time because they trust you. They know you. They know who you are. Whereas if you get hired by an outsource of another company, they don't know you as well. So you may, you may let's say, let's say you're a, a data, data entry person making $25,000 a year at a company. And then let's say you work your way up the company ladder and eventually you're like a CFO because you put in time, you worked hard, and you know through those years of maybe having some trials, you got to a position that you ultimately desired. Now, it may have taken a little longer in the same company. You may not have made a salary as fast that you desired, but by staying the course, you ended up making more in the end. Whereas, let's say you start off as a data entry person, and then like six months to a year later, you're like, oh, I can make 10 grand more, $35,000 at this company by being a data entry supervisor. Mm-hmm. And so then you get hired on there, but let's say that one caps, let's say it caps at $40,000. And because that company is so much bigger, they don't promote you as fast as the other company would have. Mm-hmm. So let's say you make $25,000 here for two years as a data entry person. That's $50,000. And then let's say you go over to company B making $35,000, but they give you a slow increase and you're there as a data entry supervisor for five years. But then let's say company A after two years promotes you up to head accountant and you're making $80,000. See, the exponential growth right there was higher than this one was, but it was a matter of patience. And once again, it goes back to instant gratification. Are you willing to wait to stay the course in order to really get what you desire, get what God has promised you? I remember God telling me, I want to give you my best yes. And that isn't necessarily what I always think it's going to be. What I thought was my best yes and what actually is my best yes are two totally different things, it turns out. And it takes patience. And it's hard, y'all. It's not easy. I don't come here on the saying, it's really easy. It's going to be great. (laughs) I come here saying, you have to maintain the course. And you're going to have to go through struggles. Sorry, struggles. Struggles (laughs) and hardships. But God never promised an easy life. Mm -hmm. He promised to be there in the struggle. Mm-hmm. And kind of going back to what you said about growing up in parents' house, my parents, you know, growing up, I saw us as a middle-class family that, you know, we lived in a nice house. What I didn't see is my parents struggle when they first got married and even before they got married where they barely had anything. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, I should get what my parents have. But what I didn't realize is what my parents had at my age, I would have found repulsive, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. what they lived in. Mm-hmm. And you probably, and if you ask your parents what they really lived in when they first got married, you'd be like, oh my gosh. If So when we look at that, if we really ask the Lord to give us what our parents had at the age they had it compared to what we are, we would be greatly disappointed yeah. if we maintain that entitled mentality. Yes. I think it's also to remember that life in these formative years, in your early 20s, that sort of thing, this is a planting season. This is all about planting seeds. And over time, it takes time to grow 
anything, right? Like figuratively and literally growing vegetables, growing a family, all these things, it takes time. You can't have instant family, boop, boop, you know, like it, it doesn't happen that way. And you can't have instant food. You can't have instant success. So knowing that you are in a season of planting and that down the road, you're going to have a season of harvest coming, you're seeing all the harvesting, all the Instagram worthy stuff that you see of people being successful, having the ultimate job, the ultimate family, the ultimate car, just stuff. You don't know, first off, you don't know what they had to go through to get there. And you don't know how many seeds, how many hours of work, how many people fed into them. So a lot of things, you're assuming a lot of things if you think that instant gratification is is a reality. Well, um, let's the face it. The reality of social media is we post our best foot forward. Yes. Um, I remember Leah posts a lot of stuff about our kids and life in general, and many of it you may look at and go, wow, they're really happy and everything's going well. What you don't see is that five minutes before Isaac was screaming his head off because he was having to take a picture or 10 minutes before that, Caleb currently is potty training and he decided to make a mess all over the floor. Mm -hmm. You don't see by living in the social media realm and not in real reality, we miss the, the hardships because we are not going to post pictures of the hardship. We're not going to post the pictures of fights as a couple on social media. We're not going to post, you know, hardship of different family struggles or, different friend struggles or whatever it may be. And I think that's kind of where we kind of lose a sense of reality. Right. And I think this is a perfect segue to go into a little bit more of millennials and relationships because this whole instant gratification thing is huge. I was looking up some articles just about millennials and relationships and Huffington Post. Huffington Post, it's got some interesting stuff. They're kind of kooky at times, but this was actually pretty accurate. And so one of the things that they talked about was just, we live in a world of dating apps, you know, between Tinder and Bumble and all this other stuff that I'm not, I don't even know. I've been out of the dating game for, well, if you include us dating, 12 years. And yeah. before that, we didn't have smartphones. <laughs> we had we had flip phones, and like if you had a little keyboard on the inside of your phone, you were the bomb.com. So, but because we live in a world of dating apps, there's a heightened sense of dependence on our phones. Because oh, if I want to meet someone, I got to go online. If I want to have a conversation, I've got to text them. And it becomes a digital wall. Like you've heard the phrase digital courage. Like people can post anything they want. Like if, like YouTube comments, don't ever read the comments. You know, it's it's just a bunch of bickering because it's so easy to post something because there's no uh, personal investment behind that. Um, but we tend to, we hide behind our phones. And there is a couples counselor, I think she's from Texas. Her name is Liz Higgins, who... Talk about in relation to dating. She writes, Millennials often fall victim to decision paralysis. In the information age, the dating world is so shaped by a plethora of platforms to search for the one. This can often lead to the choice paradox and feeling extreme anxiety and fear of missing out by choosing the wrong person. Let's talk a a little bit about this. Is the idea of the one... A real thing. I'm going to go ahead and break some hearts today. Break them, baby. The one does not exist. And I say that in front of my wife. 
So, oh, uh, understand, I <laughs> love kidding. my wife with all her heart. She is a godly well, your woman. Your heart or my heart? My heart. You said your Did heart. I say your heart. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love my wife with all my heart. And I, she is, you know, as far as godly and she seeks the Lord and she, you know, serves us well as a family. And I knew that I wanted to marry her. However, I also know that the one does not exist. And there's actually, there is the one, and that's Jesus at the end of the day. Hmm. Our culture is so focused on finding the right thing that they miss it by a mile. Hmm. People think, oh, I'm just going to settle if I if I pick the wrong person. Or what if I pick the wrong person, and then while we're engaged or while we're married, I meet the one. Can I tell you, that's a load of baloney from the devil. Hmm. When you find somebody that you can see you and them living for the Lord together for the rest of your life, you need to quit comparing them to other people. Mm-hmm. When you find the one, you need to turn the I'm looking status off because it's not fair to your partner and you would hate if it happened to you. To be honest with you guys, this is the biggest downfall of relationships. I'll be honest with you guys. I, If it was me today, I wouldn't use dating apps. I think one-to-one co- contact is the best form. However, they are what's available to a lot of sources. And I have met a lot of couples, godly couples, who have gotten married. And they live for the Lord. And they wouldn't have necessarily met had it not been a dating app. So I say that to say, I personally may have never used it, but I don't think they're a sin. Mm-hmm. I think your intention of that. I don't think Tinder's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But I think we lack that personal interaction, which the Bible talks about in Hebrews. It says, do not forsake, forsake the fellowship of the saints as some are in the habit of doing. We have got to get off the digital world to really reap the harvest of a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's okay if you want to meet them on the app, but make the time to meet with them face to face. And don't download their profile and go and have them analyze when you walk in the door. <laughs> it's really simple, y'all. Go in with saying, Lord, show me if this is the person for me. Show me your will in this. And he doesn't fail in that, y'all. Mm-hmm. He doesn't fail. Going back to saying how there's no such thing as one of the... We say a lot of times when people get married, till death do you part. Mm-hmm. That means till death do you part, not forever and ever and ever. People are allowed to marry after the other spouse dies. People are allowed to divorce. You know, obviously today's world, there's several reasons why people divorce and I'm not going to necessarily get into that. Um, You know, there is obviously certain areas where I would say, yeah, maybe time infidelity is one of them. Sadly, Um, you know, if your spouse cheats on you or you cheats on your spouse, you know, the Lord's going to forgive you one day. Maybe your spouse will forgive you, but you broke that covenant. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's really important to just, you know, come to the Lord, ask for forgiveness and move forward in healing in that. Um, and like talk about the previous episode with Celebrate Recovery, I'd encourage you to get to Celebrate Recovery if that's the case. God has shown us some incredible testimonies through people who may have gone through infidelity and they work it out as a couple. And it's incredible to see how the Lord works in that. But your focus as someone going into a relationship is for you to be the right partner, not Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. I think one of the things that I remembered, I I love listening to other preachers from all over the country. And 
there's a pastor in Miami. His name's Rich Wilkerson Jr., and uh, he's the pastor of Vu Church, and he does a lot of relationship series and that sort of thing. And he, when it came to singleness and dating, he made this a big point. He said, you need to focus focus on being the right partner for somebody else. He, he said, the law of attraction works the same way here. You attract what you are. And he went on to kind of give some funny examples of saying like, you know, if the guy's like, man, I want a girl with a body. He's like, dude, you hadn't even been in the gym in like three months. So don't, don't even come up here with that. Or um, I want a man that makes a lot of money, but you're sitting on your butt, not working any. And so you attract what you are. And I think that, for instance, if you're on Instagram and you're posting selfies about yourself, obviously, and that's all you post, what you're saying to people is that I'm selfish. I love me. I love me and I want you to love me. So be mindful of what of of who you are as a person, of how hard you work at your job, how dependable you are with your friends, how well you get along with your family. All of that plays a part in finding a partner for you. So just know that law of attraction is real. It's real. And I think one thing we as millennials need to keep in mind is you need to stop worrying about finding the one. Mm. Um, because once again, they don't exist. But focus on having quality relationships. Mm-hmm. When you start to see quality relationships, it's cool how God begins to work in that. I look at Lee and I, and granted, we started dating in high school, but I knew there was something different about her. And she was just a friend of mine. To be honest with you all, I asked her out eight times. Yep, you did. On MySpace. Hello, all the yeah. millennials, if you had MySpace. So <laughs> let me go ahead and confess you all. Online stuff like that is a mistake. I made a mistake in that realm. So I say it as somebody humbly saying, listen, I've been there. But what I really want us to think is stop overanalyzing it. Mm -hmm. I've heard people say to me, Jake, I want to make sure I find that person, that person who's going to be compatible to me. And they're going to do all this stuff. And y'all, even Christians, they're like, I want to find the one the Lord has for me. And the Lord puts them right in your face. And you're like, Oh, but they're just a friend. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you may not go, oh, when you first meet them, can I tell you that? That feeling's fleeting. Yeah. It's very emotion. Don't ever base decisions off of that emotion. Can I tell you all, the the stars don't align and the the curtain doesn't open, the angel comes down going, oh. (laughs) That doesn't exist. (laughs) So stop it. Like I think of Bob Newhart every time I think of this. Stop it. We have to stop overanalyzing stuff because the Lord is the one in control of our lives. He is the one that is pursuing mm-hmm. what everything we do. And as long as we stay in his will, he will make our path straight. I keep reiterating that verse because it's so important if y'all want to find success in these realms. Mm-hmm. Um, I see people all saying they believe they selected the wrong partner when things get tough. Can I tell you something? It's tough. Yes. Marriage is tough. Mm-hmm. Having kids is tough. It's not going to be all fun and games. There are going to be days where you really don't like your spouse. I've had those days. Leah's had those days, obviously, because we're married. Yes. But when it gets tough, that's when the Lord's refining you. Perseverance is what ultimately creates wisdom. Perseverance through making mistakes. Perseverance through getting through the tough times. That's what ultimately develops into wisdom. And also, the fact that marriage marriage is a covenant. It's... Not just something that you flippantly do, although some people treat it that way. It's a covenant, and that, that's saying that even when I don't want to, I do. 
And let me give you all a little side note. This is just, this is for free. When you marry your spouse or you get in a relationship, I hear people all the time, especially single people say, oh, my friends ran off or my friend started dating a girl or starting to date a guy and they ran off and got alone. Don't do that. You need to have relationships and fellowship with other believers. However, another thing to take away is this. Your best friend that is the same sex as you should not be closer than your spouse is to you. Mm-hmm. And I know I just stepped on a ton of feet, but I don't really care mm-hmm. because I often see this. Well, my best friend told me not to do this. Well, I went out with the girls because he frustrated me. Can I tell you something? If you are married and your best friend is single, they're, they may have good intentions, but they're not going to be the best fit for you in that moment. Because guess what? They're going to go do single things, and that's going to be where temptation, where the devil starts to work. Mm-hmm. You need to get with your spouse and work out the issues and not talk about it to everybody and everybody and anybody. Because guess what? There's going to be a single guy or girl there that's going to happen to see your struggle, see that you're hurting, and that's when the devil can start to slow in, and then they can create themselves to be the perfect person for you. And this is including co-worker relationships, y'all. This is where the rubber meets the road in a lot of affairs. Mm-hmm. You get frustrated with your spouse. You go to work or you go to a restaurant or some of you may even go to the bar. And you see this person and they seem to have it all together. They're perfect. And the devil's doing that on purpose. He is absolutely doing that on purpose. And you may have complete right intentions when you walk into the situation. You may have complete right intentions when you go out with your friends. But you need to quit looking around for something else. You need to quit and rebuke the devil and even rebuke that person if they're trying to invade on that territory. Can I tell you something? When you marry, you are your spouse's person. You are there, in a sense, like property. Like, in in some sense of the word. And I say that very loosely. Yeah. But... You you are claimed. You are claimed yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and I, I know a lot of people think property as being something that is over it. And that's not my intention of saying that word. But I need to reiterate the importance that you are taken. Yes. You are not somebody else's to have. So if you get in a fight with your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your fiance, the last thing you need to do is go out to dinner with your friends. The last thing you need to do is go to your girlfriends and say, oh, he's such a jerk. Because Can I tell you something? Every time you run to your friends or your family and you talk bad about your spouse, you're diminishing their reputation with them more and more and more and more. Yeah. And I want to say that this is more applied to married couples. Because when you're dating, there's a difference because you have not made that covenant Correct. That commitment yet. You, you're committed to them in a dating relationship, and there is some, I don't want to say leeway, but if you are married, yes, I agree. Yeah, and that, and this is, and I would even see, say in dating that you still shouldn't be looking around. No, if yeah. you if you say, hey, we are dating, I'm, I'm trying to pursue you, we are trying to pursue a relationship that will hopefully lead into marriage, then yeah, you shouldn't be looking. But... I think the the mindset of a millennial sometimes is like, oh, what can, where can I get the best deal? And unfortunately, this translates over into relationships, which is a shame. I've always said that the grass is never green on the other side, and if it is, it's AstroTurf. 
Yeah. And it's it's reality. Well, I've also heard that the grass is green where you water it. Absolutely. And it comes down to you putting in the effort and you contributing and not just say, gimme, gimme, gimme. And when you run out, I'm, I'm leaving. It's, it, it ultimately comes down to selfishness, right? It boils down to selfishness. It boils down to, it can be applied anywhere in life. And I think this is something just, if we're being honest as millennials, we struggle with the most mm-hmm. selfishness. It's about us. It's about us being comfortable. It's about us having the job. It's about us having the perfect marriage. It's about us having the perfect kids, it's about us having the perfect this, that, this and that. And the reality is that's not the case. You're not entitled to anything. Mm-hmm. I one time I remember hearing one time, um, and it actually was through I think a Medea movie, and it was it was a Jake loves Medea for, <laughs> but it was actually a very impactful statement. It said your parents brought you into this world, and that's all they were required to do, and anything past that is just blessing. And a lot of people may say, oh, but parents need to do this. Yes, parents need to be good parents. And I strive to be a good parent. Leah strives to be a good parent with our kids. And we love our kids. However, the last thing I want to do to them is teach them that everything comes to them just by demanding it. And I'm fearful our culture has really gotten in that mindset that it should just come to me because I deserve it. Can I tell you something? You don't deserve anything. And it even dates back to, to our walk with God. We don't deserve heaven. We deserve hell. However, because of Jesus, because of God's mercy and his love and his compassion for us, he sent Jesus to die on a rugged cross for us. And I think we say that so lightly. Mm. You know that's the one of the worst forms of punishment to ever exist? Mm. The amount of pain that involves that? And we take it so lightly, but y'all, God's compassion is the reason why we are able to now be in his presence. And this applies to every part of our life. If we maintain this attitude of gratitude that what we are given is simply a blessing from God, it only gets better. But if we come into it with these high standards, with this expectation that I deserve everything because I got the education or I deserve everything because I am the person that should have it. The reality is you're going to be disappointed in life. And I think that's why we see a more elevated level of suicidal rates as well. Mm, Wow. Yeah, because this this comparison game. We're going to talk a little bit more in part two of um, this episode of Millennials and Marriage about the comparison game and as it applies in marriage. We don't want to give give away too much material. That's just that's just gosh. We gotta we gotta keep you coming back for more, right? Right. Yeah, right. There we go. So I want to say let's press pause for a little bit on uh, on this, so that way. We can save up some more material for part two, where we're talking specifically more about romance and sex and um, the ins and outs of, of marriage. And we're not claiming to say that, oh yeah, we're eight years in that we have all the all the answers. But a lot of what you're going to learn is the mistakes we've made. Yeah, we're going to be very transparent with you about <laughs> our own issues and things that we've gone through. Um, but it's all for. It's all for your good and for your information and for you to grow. Like I said, we're going to continue to talk about the comparison game of comparing who you are, what you have, what you wish you had, and where you are. So, um, In your marriage. In your marriage, yes. And real quick before we go, I kind of wanted to talk about, we, we've mentioned some aspects of leadership because this podcast is all about leadership, like taking an issue or taking a topic and, and filtering and what does this mean for a leader? And 
some of the things that we were talking about as millennials, millennial leaders. This can help you identify strengths and weaknesses. If you find out or you realize, man, I really think I deserve everything. I challenge you that you need to work hard. You need to be diligent in whatever job you're at and realize that the fact that you have a job in the first place is a blessing. Uh, The second thing is being reliable and trustworthy. Being good for your word. Understanding that a good name is to be valued over silver or gold. We talked about that in my second episode of procrastination and talents about using your resources of what you've been given and being trustworthy. And it also applies in your in your workplace, but also with your friends. If your friends can depend on you and know that you're going to be there, that you're not just going to flake out on them, that that speaks volumes. And then the last thing is um, understand what hard work really is and what it reaps. Like I said, that we are in a season. I say we because Jake and I are here too. We are in a season of planting. Now, maybe you have planted some seeds a few years ago. Know that things are about to sprout and that you just have to continue to be patient, that you have to cultivate, that you have to water, but realize that the Lord brings the sun. And that's the whole part of like, I'm I'm making it very scientific here with photosynthesis and all that stuff. But knowing that it's a process, that it's not, you can't chia pet this thing and it's not going to just be poof, instant but that it takes hard work and it takes diligence. And know that you're going to reap a harvest of plentiful. Like if you try to reap a harvest of a seed that you just planted yesterday, you're just going to reap dirt. I remember um, my grandfather <clears throat> had a garden growing up, and if you ate a tomato that was not ready yet, it was disgusting. Yeah. And it took that time for it to get to the point where it was ready. So kind of like Leah said, some leadership aspects I feel like a lot of you could take away from this is just, you know, to have a heart for helping others, but understand that it's not just the people you agree with. And that's mm-hmm. being a true leader, mm-hmm. being able to do that, yeah. being able to help others that we may not necessarily enjoy. And when you're desiring harmony and peace, understand that you have to seek the Lord first. And that's in any leadership role. If you want to be a good leader, seek the Lord first, his kingdom, his righteousness, and he will make your path straight. And when evaluating, evaluating with realistic expectations. Yeah. I encourage you to obviously do your research on stuff. However, don't overanalyze it. Have a healthy balance. And then lastly, don't just learn from the mistakes from the past, but look at the good lessons of the past as well. And I know a lot of people struggle with that. But the past is not just about mistakes. There's been good things in the past that can teach us a lot. And that's why I believe, you know, consulting with people who are older than you mm-hmm. is huge. Um, our mentors, our sponsors are about 15 years older than us. Mm-hmm. And they're like best friends to us. But their wisdom and knowledge is not something of pride. It's of humility saying, hey, we messed this up and we need to show you why and how we messed it up. Right. Um, and lastly, be loyal, y'all. Be loyal. Mm-hmm. Don't just, this is something I can't stress enough. When you let your yes be your yes and your no be your no, be loyal because it will pay off in the end. Yes, absolutely. All right, guys. Whoa, we've covered a lot of ground today. 
a lot. I wonder if you did this to me, what was going to happen. I know. I told you. I, I If I get you on the soapbox that he's going to go crazy on you. But um, I think this is all really good information. And so... But like I said, next episode, we'll give you a release date soon of when the next episode, uh, the part two of this episode is going to come out. Um, and like I said, it's going to be more on romance, sex, and marriage more specifically. So make sure you check it out. Share this with a friend. Share this with a millennial. Seriously. If you are a Gen Zer, I'm going to call you Gen Zers, or a Gen Y, or maybe, I don't think, if we got some baby boomers on here, that's amazing. That would be cool. And but, Gen X, don't forget Gen X. And Gen X, I'm sorry. It's baby boomers, Gen X. We're Gen Y, though. We're Gen Y. And then Gen Z. Yes. Okay. All of you guys, share this with a friend. Uh, let them know that we're going to be talking about um, some more marriage-related stuff on the next episode. But make sure to keep that pen and paper handy. And we'll probably learn something along the way. Right. So thank you, Bo, for being on here. And I can't wait to hear what you're going to share with us come next episode.